You're listening to This Week on NFL No Huddle, featuring the top interviews from this past week's show with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn. Hello and welcome to This Week on NFL No Huddle as we take you back through the week that was on our program. In this episode, Cordell and I will focus on both the Super Bowl and the Senior Bowl, and we'll start with former Patriots offensive tackle Matt Light. Matt, how are you doing today? Well, I think I'm doing good, and hopefully my cell phone is as well. (laughs) You sound tremendous. Let's go back to Tom Brady early in his career, before he became the greatest quarterback of all time. We hear about his focus, his zeal, his determination. What was he like in the locker room at the start of his career? Well, not quite like he is now. Um, But, you know, look, he was always a hard worker. I mean, the guy you know, always prepared like he was a starter, you know, even when he was the backup to the backup, you know, we had, you know, we had Bledsoe who was slinging it around and, you know, just obviously a great quarterback and doing his thing. But uh, Tommy always prepared hard, man. I mean, I think that's the one thing that, you know, he's always hung his hat on. Matt, when you look at how he does it though, I mean, you've been around some quarterbacks, maybe not too, too many, but some, Um, what, what separates him uh, considering all what you just said, but what truly separates him from the rest? Well, look, I mean, I've been pretty fortunate with my quarterbacks. I've had Drew Brees at, at Purdue, right. who I was, uh, you know, fortunate enough to play with, and then, uh, you know, Tommy. And, and they both have the same quality. They're just relentless. I mean, they, they love to compete. I don't think there's enough emphasis put on, you know, a player and and just really how they attack the things they do because of the competition. I mean, competition doesn't just mean that you want to win. It's it's what you do to put yourself in a position to win. I mean, he competes at everything, whether it's practice or throwing, you know, a piece of paper in a wastebasket. So it's just – and both those guys are the same way, by the way. And, Matt, so much has been made about Brady potentially wanting to play until he's 45 and discussion of legacy. But do you think it comes down to perhaps the simple observation, he just loves football and wants to play as long as he can? Yeah, I think that's what it is. I mean, you know, he he enjoys everything about, you know, the game of football. And, and again, mainly because it's all about competition. It's, it's competing in the weight room. It's competing, you know, with his nutrition. It's competing against the guys that are trying to take his spot, right? It's, it's getting guys to compete at a higher level, you know, within, you know, the receiving core and getting, you know, all those little aspects of, of practice and preparation and everything else to, to a higher level each and every day. And, and that's, that's why he does what he does. When you look at this football team, it almost seems as if they just cannot be beat. I mean, I mean, you don't have to give out the secrets, but if you're from the outside looking in, what is the secret or what's the most important component of this game in order to beat this football team? Because you truly have to play for 65 minutes, let's just say every single game, because if not, you may end up losing. Well, I mean, yeah, I think that's just, that's just part of it right there. You know, it's um, you, you're not going to, you're not going to beat a New England team by thinking at any point the game is over until it's over, right? I mean, that, that's um, that's a fatal mistake that we've seen play out too many times, and especially, you know, um, if you look at this past weekend and the job that, you know, Jacksonville did, I mean, they played a great game for almost the whole game, but it wasn't enough to beat these guys. And, and the flip side of that is what you saw in the NFC Championship where you had – 
you know, really, a really good team um, in Minnesota, but you know, they just didn't have the confidence. You know, they 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 lost that edge and and they couldn't get it back. So, look, there's a lot of things that make up you know reasons why New England has been able to dominate you know for as long as they have. Think of the continuity between the coach and the quarterback, and uh, you know a lot, a lot of the people on that coaching staff, by the way, that make up the core elements of that group. And then, you know, really Coach Belichick and, you know, the things that he's learned over the years and how he puts everybody on the same level and and has expectations that, you know, each and every guy that's in that locker room is going to put in, you know, as many hours as possible. They're going to ignore all the noise from their family and their friends, and they're going to focus on the game of football and getting better week in and week out. Chatting with Matt Light, the former Patriots offensive lineman, now doing great work with his Light Foundation. We'll discuss that in a minute. Matt, let me ask you a question we posed on this program to Rodney Harris and Willie McGinnis. What does the Patriot way mean to you? Well, you know, it's a lot of things. Um, I, I work with a lot of companies and, and do a lot of speaking engagements. And and when I talk about it, it's um, I think it's a little bit different for each guy, right? You know, you, you talk about Willie Mack and Brew and Rodney Harrison or there are other guys that have been in the media or doing things where they've been asked this question. And I think we're all going to give a little bit of a different answer, but it's all wrapped around the same concept. And, you know, look, I work with a lot of kids. You reference the Life Foundation, and, and, I, and I use a lot of what I learned over my 11-year career in New England where I, you know, that's the only system I knew, right? And the thing I tell a lot of people is this, that, you can be asked to do a lot of things by a lot of different individuals. And we all know the difference between, you know, the guy that's supposedly the boss, right? And I say that supposedly because not every boss should be a boss or really truly is a boss, even though they wear that title. But you can be asked to do a lot of things by upper management or the boss. And a lot of times it's going to fall on deaf ears. And when, it, when, when that happens, it's mainly because... When you look at that boss, that leader, he's not doing the things that you know he should be doing so you don't respect him, which means you don't have buy-in, which means you never fully realize the full potential of whatever that group is supposed to be doing. The flip side of that is when you do have a boss that puts in countless hours and is always showing up and has an answer for almost everything and is just relentless in their pursuit – when they ask you to take your game to the next level, you can't call them out on it. You can't really argue it because you know what they sacrifice personally. That's the best way that I could describe what I believe to be, you know, the Patriot way and what's led to a lot of our success. When you see how, you know, everyone, and you probably hear this sometimes, man, it's the system, it's the system, it's the system. All I know is if you, if you connect it to what happens in basketball, right, you think of the San Antonio Spurs, that system, it worked with Tim Duncan. This system in New England, it only truly works when it comes to championships with Tom Brady. Give me your take on what people think about the quote-unquote system when it comes down to winning championships. Well, the the system is a big part of winning. I mean, look, you can't have a conversation about the dominance of New England and, you know, their ability to do what they've done over this 17, 18-year stretch without considering both Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. So you're not going to be able to, um, you know, win that battle or that case, you know, with whatever, you know, rationale you have. Um, I think, though, I think that there's a good case to be made for, 
you know, the fact that we have won games when Tom hasn't been in there. And, you know, whether it was a Matt Castle or Garoppolo and Brissett or whoever it may have been, it hasn't happened a lot. But there is the ability to win games without Tom Brady. Now, do you win championships? I don't know. I don't, I don't know if that's 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 possible. I mean, I guess at some point we're going to find out. But until you know, until that old goat decides to retire, we're just going to have to keep speculating. <laughs> Matt, we appreciate you taking the time to join us. We enjoyed the conversation and look forward to potentially talking about another Patriot Super Bowl victory in the future. Thanks, Matt. Hey, thanks, guys. We'll see. You're listening to This Week on NFL No Huddle, and we'll be back with another great interview right after this. It's a new year, and time for you to explore new podcasts on TuneIn. What better way to celebrate the new year than taking a look back at the best podcasts of 2017? From news and politics to true crime, comedy, and history favorites, we've rounded up our favorites, and there's something for everyone. Shows included Dirty John, S-Town, My Favorite Murder, Homecoming, Pod Save America. Start your new year with these podcasts and more. Just search podcasts on TuneIn today. Welcome back to This Week on NFL No Huddle. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Next on This Week on NFL No Huddle, we're joined by former NFL quarterback Sean Salisbury. Sean, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Let's start in Philadelphia. How surprised were you by how well Nick Foles played yesterday against the best defense in football with the Vikings? Well, I didn't think he'd play that way, but I, on my show this week on our television show, I had said that if he goes 23-30 or 30 again like he did last week, even without throwing a touchdown, they're going to win. And he did. <laughs> he played far better than that. He looked like a guy who's been a starter for his entire career. I, I had picked Philadelphia to win the game last week against Atlanta this week, but I thought it'd be one of those buzzer-beater field goals. Um, I'll tell you what, and Cordell knows this as well, the, there's a comfort level with this guy on this RPO action. He loves it because it takes a lot of full-field read away from him. It's RPO throw the slant, RPO throw the curl. RPO throw a hitch. He's very when the ball's coming out quickly. When he's not overthinking, he's on fire. And then they started. Then he made some great throws. He was patient in the pocket. He made some great throws on straight drop back five and a hitch and, and get the ball out. I, I, I he looked so comfortable. It was as if this was this was not new to him. Now, can he continue with a third time? We're about to find out in two weeks. But he did not only what a backup's supposed to do, but he did what a starter's supposed to do. He didn't worry about. Uh, Carson Wentz. He wasn't trying to prove to the world that he belongs as a starter. He did what he was supposed to do. They put him in an unbelievable position, and he did not hesitate yesterday. There was no, you know, he didn't watch the pass rush. I mean, it looked like a guy in control, and I, from from Filippo to Frank Reich to Doug Peterson, the quarterback coach, coordinator, and head coach, put him in an incredible position, and the believability to allow him to cut it loose and throw that many times I loved it. And then they dominated the line of scrimmage. I mean, they gave him time to throw. It was domination all the way around. But I was so impressed with his poise. But he gets, for the last two weeks, when they've run that run RPO where he gets to read and get it out, and he doesn't take a lot of time, and he's making quick decisions, Nick Foles is, is playing about as good as you can play at that position, considering the fact that he's what now? Got five starts under his belt this year. Yeah, and and, and that's, I think, why he's – you know, while looking at him at the end of part of this season, you automatically assume everything was getting ready to fall apart. But going back to what he did, and I think it was 13, 2013, where he was like 27 and two touchdowns and interceptions yep. with Philly. 
uh, you, we get a chance to see it again with him now. But some people in, 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 in some cases have a tendency to want to blame it on a system per se. But the player still has to ex- execute. I think yep. this is probably the best execution that we've seen, let's just say overall throughout an entire game for a quarterback. Not where you do it just for the first half and you fall off in the second or vice versa. But Nick Foles actually played some of the most sound football of any quarterback in the playoffs. What does this do for his future as a quarterback? Oh, my God. Well, I think what it does, and you know this, Cordell, when you play games like that, especially game three in the regular season, people say, okay, well, it's regular season. When the temperature of the game goes up, how's a guy who's supposed to be a backup, how's he performed, let alone a starter? And he has played out of his mind the last two weeks and in particular. And I couldn't agree with you more. I, I get so tired of people blaming their, or, you know, or putting all the, uh, should I say, the, all the, the, the credentials and all the love on, oh, it's a system. No, the guy's got the ball in his hand. He's got to make good, quick, accurate delivery with the football. I think it's incumbent upon a coaching staff, and they did this, and the where they deserve credit, is put him in his comfort zone and allowed him to get confidence by early throws and getting him rolling. And I think that's part of, what a good coach does for any quarterback, but I would agree with you. I, I, there, there, there can't have been a better performance from opening snap to end a game since in the playoffs this this year. Now Ben put on a good show uh, last week, but still the consistency, the accuracy, the placement of the football, the change of the launch point, the short, intermediate, and long passes, his decision on a couple times to to sit in the pocket and not be forced out to where. The one he hung in there and hung in there and hung in there and climbed a little bit and hit the, the, the deep ball down the field for the touchdown um, to a wide-open receiver on a broken coverage. He just, I thought he did everything well. And as far as what it's doing for him, if you're a franchise, first of all, if you're Philadelphia, you're saying, damn, we're coming off an injury to our quarterback. We don't want to let the guy get away. We felt like we upgraded, meaning if you're Philadelphia, Nick Foles for Chase Daniel, because Chase wouldn't have done what he did yesterday. he got a big, strong body who can throw it. Everybody thought the limitations on his physical skills running the football would limit them. I can tell you this, Carson, Carson Lynch did not play a better game the entire year as, as a possible MVP than Nick Foles did yesterday. Now, Lynch is your future. I love him. What this does is it heightens people's awareness to either get you paid bigger as a backup or allow people to say, would you take another chance on him as a starter, for instance, in the right system if you were to run that? And it just heightens it. All it does is it extends – an opportunity for people to rejudge him in the right way. And if he extends this through the Super Bowl, now we're looking at a whole new offseason can of worms. But I couldn't have been more proud of a guy who was, you know, people had set him up for failure after the Oakland game and the, and the uh, Dallas game. But he's responded with unbelievable pressure in the postseason and, and handled it so well. Chatting with our pal Sean Salisbury. Check out the highly informative Sean Salisbury Show weekdays, SB Nation Radio, TV simulcast on BN Sports. I want to leverage one of the words you threw out there, upgrade, and shift over to Jacksonville. In fairness, Blake Bortles played well yesterday, but Sean, considering how transcendent this Jacksonville defense is, do you think it would be wise for the team to explore other options, maybe target a trade with the Chiefs to pick up Alex Smith or go after a free agent to upgrade the play at the quarterback position next year? I would. I, I try not to let a motion of, oh, you know, this, the loss wasn't just on Bortles. The loss got on the fact that they started to play, I mean, what they throw, three times on first down in the second half. They came out aggressive. They had, the, they had the Patriots on their heels, and then they did what a lot of teams do, try to shorten the game and get out of it before Brady touches the ball. And in the process, you end up giving him the ball more. So they backed off his aggressiveness. But 
you know, against, against Pittsburgh, when you guys, if we look deep into it, he made about four throws in the third and fourth quarter. The, the, the fullback ISO throw down the middle for the touchdown, the deep one to Cole. He did not have a good game for the first three quarters. He just kind of managed it and was around 50%. But when he's aggressive and they're throwing it, he seems to be a little bit more confident. And then I, I'm not putting a loss just on him yesterday. Hell, when Tom Brady's got the ball, the defense couldn't get off the field in the, you know, the last quarter, and, and those things happen, and you're playing against the, the best player we've ever had at the position. So that being said, I don't think, I, I don't think that mechanically there's something missing from Blake Bortles' makeup. There just is in his DNA. Some got it, some don't. He, he's not, he's, Blake Bortles is never winning a Super Bowl. He'll never play on a better defense than he's playing on right now. He just He's not the guy you can turn the ball over to and say, go win me a game. He's the type of guy that if you're Doug Marone and, and Nathaniel Hackett and Tom Coffey, you say, let's get through this. Let's not forget now. And this is no disrespect on the guy. I respect anybody who goes through that and plays that position. He's better at it than I was. But mechanically, he's not overly sound, and you can't, you, you can't trust him most of the time under duress. And if you, if you watch them and you're looking at the future of your franchise, you say, what are we missing? You're missing a guy that can now, if Alex Smith or Deshaun Watson or somebody or Kirk Cousins is the quarterback, they're better. That's the way you got to look at. Is Blake Bortles give us the best chance to get to the next level? Now, you also got to look at the options. If I can get Alex Smith, is Alex Smith better than Bortles? Yes. He's more accurate. Now, does that mean you're going to win a Super Bowl with Alex Smith? Well, that's been proven so far. Not yet. But to me, Blake Bortles is a guy that no matter where he goes, he can get you to a certain level. He's an 8-8, eight 9-7 eight, quarterback that if that defense was average, they could very simply have won the division this year. And if Watson and Andrew Luck are healthy, and if Marcus Mariota takes a step back of the way the progress we saw two years ago, not this year, but two years ago, they could end up finishing in third place. They, they could be the worst offense in the division because of the quarterback. So, for me, decent player, not $20 million, $19 million worth. Either there's a ceiling on his game. Yes, if you want to win a championship, he's not the game, regardless of how he played a couple times. And you've got to look at the whole body of work. From the time he started in the league to now, you're not playing in February with Blake Bortles as your quarterback. You're just not. With the game being the way it is now, Sean, uh, how often do you really go to the blueprint of what you think a real quarterback is? Because for case, this is just for this case, let's look at Mitchell Trubisky, 13 games. He comes yep. in as a second pick overall. He goes to Chicago. Look at Carson Wentz. FCS school coming from North Dakota State. No one believed that he could actually come in. Jared Goff. I mean, he comes out of a system where they never got in the huddle. Everything was from the center. He got everything from the sideline last year with Jeff Fisher. He looked like he didn't belong in the National Football League. Sean McVay comes in, make the kid look like a hero. Do you think yep. Tom Coughlin would have Blake Bortles in that conversation? This is his first year of having an opportunity to be successful. Do you think that they, from a price standpoint as well, do you think they can continue to build around him to allow this, 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 uh, this life of, of understanding how to win to be something that could become contagious because of some the things that we know that Tom Coughlin can do as opposed to saying, let's bring in the Alex Smith. We've seen what Alex Smith can do. Or let's bring in the Eli Manning. Just hypothetical conversation. Right. Bring them right. in, and, and you know what? Because of their body of work, they've done better, but yet they still end up in the same exact place, just the AFC Championship game. Yeah. Here's the question with that, Cordell. I'm, I'm getting to the point where, you know, and, and you've seen it. You've been with good coaches and good teachers, and so have I. We've been with some that maybe not as good. Coaching matters. And anybody that doesn't see that hasn't watched Jared Goff and Carson Wentz's improvement and, mm-hmm. then, and, 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 and watched what Keith Case Keenum 
and Mick Foles and Jared Goff have done out of that horrendous St. Louis Rams, Jeff Fisher's offense. I love Fish, but the offense, the, the, the teaching and coaching at that offense was horrible. And so it does matter. So, and then you look at Deshaun Watson, came from that offense, boom, gets proper coaching, he comes in. There's that it factor, and it's overused. Right. But I, I don't know. You know what? I don't know if Alex Smith, if he went to the Patriots and Tom Brady retired, if they'd win a Super Bowl. There are certain guys that, and, and I guess what's your level of, I mean, what do we want? If you want Andy Dalton, you're going to say, to just get to the playoffs and we'll be good enough? Okay, cool. Or do you want a guy who, I, when I look at Blake Bortles, I see a guy who's physically gifted, whose mechanics, the, the, the way he drops the ball and wind up, got a little bit better this year than it did last year. But I don't, then, I, then I look at guys and say, it doesn't really matter. Quarterbacks, it, I don't care if he's, if he's, if he's a 25-touchdown guy, Drew Brees, they're going to win. They, they find ways to win, and they find ways to make everybody around them better. My question for this, Jared Goff, will he make players? He made great quantum leaps. Can Tom Coughlin do that with Bortles? I'm not sure Tom Coughlin believes he can. Remember, in, in the third week of the season, they tried, I mean, the third preseason, they tried to bench Blake Bortles. Right. They tried to with, with Chad Henning. So do we, I mean, could did Tom Coughlin have an effect and build? But what else are they going to build around him? They got a full, a full-grown man at running back. Now maybe Bortles' confidence grew in the postseason. You say, let's play this option out. Let's give him one more year at it and see if he grows with Fournette. We get all our young receivers healthy. We've got a Super Bowl caliber defense and see where he goes from there. But to me, with my naked eye and watching every throw he's made, because he's on every, we watch every single game in our studio with nine monitors every single week. Watch every throw he's made, and the makeup of him tells me. That I don't that I don't think he's a February player. Now, that being said, can it happen? Sure, I never say always or never because that, that that gets you in trouble in life and in sports. But when I look around, do I think his may? I don't think he has the same makeup mentally and emotionally that Carson Wentz has. Sean, as always, yep. we appreciate the strong opinions. Keep it going on your radio show. It's a terrific listen, and we hope to say hello in person when we get to Radio Row in Minnesota. Can't wait. Appreciate it. Cordell, love you, brother. You're listening to This Week on NFL No Huddle, and we'll be back with another great interview right after this. Catch all new episodes of some of your favorite podcasts early with TuneIn First Play. You can listen to new episodes from some of your favorite shows, like Haunted Places by Parcast. Every episode, I take you to the scariest haunted places on Hollywood Earth. Hollywood and Crime by Wonder. We also tested the purse for fingerprints. Nothing viable there either. And Uncivil by Gimlet before they're available anywhere else. Where we ransack America's past and discover that history is only kind to those who write it. Search First Play Podcast and listen early. Listen often. Listen today. Welcome back to This Week on NFL No Huddle. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we continue on This Week on NFL No Huddle, three-time Super Bowl champion Randy Cross joins us, who won those rings with the 49ers. Randy, thanks so much for coming back on the show. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How you doing, Stu? Hey, what's up, baby? How you been, man? It's good to hear from you. And, and of course, this is your time of year where you truly shine because you've been in a, a multitude <laughs> of these games. But when you look at these two teams uh, and, and see how, you know, how, let's just say, lopsided the quarterback position is, even though you see that that team in, in Philadelphia, I think defensively is about as good as it gets. Offensively, they're as creative as it gets because Tug Peterson does a phenomenal job. Do you think they have enough to go out and beat the GOAT that some would say is the GOAT? I won't say that to you because you play with one of the best, if not the best ever in Joe Montana. But do they have enough to beat this New England Patriots team? Um, I, I would like to say, yeah, they do. 
you know they've got the they've got the the running game and the wherewithal from that standpoint. I think they've got a very good offensive line that's had a had an excellent season. Um, you know, and Ertz's play at tight end has been absolutely critical to how they can move the ball. Um, and you know, who who wasn't impressed with the way that Nick Foles played? So if you can have another one of those kind of performances. I think if you believe you can do that back-to-back, yeah, you give Philadelphia a chance, better than, I guess, the odds makers give them. But, um, you know, you give them a good chance of, of pulling it off. I think that defense and that just the way they prepared and the way that they sort of assaulted Minnesota after that first drive. It's weird how many times we've seen that, though, isn't it? That, you know, big game like that, first team gets the ball, drives down, score a touchdown. And then they can't play dead after that. Philadelphia just completely took the air out of them and took that game away. Randy, I want to be totally transparent. I'm a Northern California guy, did radio and TV in San Francisco for 15 years. So I need you to be more objective than I am with my analysis. How would you compare your Niner dynasty and what you guys achieved to what the Patriots are currently doing? Because you're hearing this about New England. Their accomplishments might be slightly more impressive given the free agency and the salary cap. You know, given what they've done from 01, it's hard to argue that, you know, that's not as impressive as anything that anybody's ever done in the game. I'm a huge Belichick fan. I give him and the way that he's sort of made do and massaged that, both that staff and that organization, um, a world of credit. But, yeah, I mean, this is this is the church of what's happening now. I mean, this isn't what was. This is what either is or what's going to be, and, and what's currently going on, there's nobody that can even touch them. The only caveat I would move to present in this whole thing with the Patriots is their success is as much a credit to them as it is an indictment against the rest of the league because the rest of the league has got – they're doing the penguin walk for the last 15, 16 years. they got their pants around their ankles. Because Belichick's making the rest of them look foolish. Yeah, he is. Because every time he plays, he plays against all the great ones, whether it's Ben Roethlisberger, whether it's Peyton Manning, whether it's Joe Flacco. I mean, he just really comes in and, and does a tremendous job. But give me, you know, the comparison thing is a big part of why guys get drafted so early, because they like to match him up to a, another player like this kid, mm-hmm. uh, Baker Mayfield. They like to say he's the he's the next either Case Keenum or uh, the next kid, Russell Wilson, out of Seattle. But give me your take on Joe Montana and Tom Brady and how much alike are they? Well, I, I think part of what Tom has become as a quarterback is based on what he saw growing up. And I, I know when I first you know, started watching him. I did their preseason by about for about ten years. Um, you know, basically from '01 to '11 or so. And you know, you watch him throw, or you watch the rhythm with which that offense is executed. It's eerily similar to the way that you know Joe ran Bill Walsh's offense. I mean, it was just very much alike. Um, the difference being. You know, there's always different coordinators, but, you know, the the head coach is always the same. And I think in that, that's when I think Belichick doesn't get enough credit because I think for as many different people as they've had running that offense, I think the bottom line is he uh, Belichick has a lot of input on how a guy like Brady has learned and how he's played. Because just think of the advantage of having, and you had that for some too, 
Cordell. You know, you've got a head coach and you've got coaches around you that are legitimately defensive guys, and I mean really smart defensive guys. You know, you can pick those brains about going against other defenses, and you get tips and you get things that other guys don't get. So I think that combination of what he's gotten from Belichick and just the fact that, you know, he knew what great looked like, I think, before he even had an idea that he could be that good. Randy Cross is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Randy, as a Niner great, you have to love what Jimmy Garoppolo has done in the Bay Area. But from the Patriot point of view, why do you think Belichick gave him away for merely a second-round pick? Well, I mean, really, realistically, and I've heard people write about a, a, a gazillion different series about this, but, you know, are you really going to get more from a guy that's basically a free agent? Uh, are you really going to offer a guy... million a year, you know, that they allegedly did. Um, Are you going to franchise your backup quarterback? Um, Even with the cap going up the way it has, you can't, you can't afford to do that. That's just not, that's not realistic. I, I think what they did is they've got a really good value from a team that had the extra picks to, to give them a, a really nice pick in the second round for this coming, you know, this May draft that they can get a, a guy that can be there for a while. I mean, no, no telling. They might even be able to draft a quarterback in that slot. Randy, it's very rare when you have a, a player come from another organization at the time in which Jimmy Garoppolo did to San Francisco. And when watching the other quarterbacks in Bethard and Brian Hoyer, you saw a little bit of anxiety in their drops when it came down to dropping back and throwing the football. But when you saw Jimmy Garoppolo, it seemed as rhythmic as it could get, as if he's been around for maybe a year to two years within his Kyle Shanahan's offense. How good is that? Or, or is that coming from the Josh McDaniels of the world and how they taught him how to be a quarterback? Or that's just who he is? Because it seemed like he's been around there for some time. Yeah. Hey, and I mean, Cordell, you know about the rhythm in the passing game and you know a lot more than I do. But being around it, you know, around a guy like Bill Walsh, it was all about the attention to detail and the footwork and the steps. And, you know, receiver takes X amount of steps while the quarterback takes X amount of steps. That foot goes in the ground and that ball's out. Sorry, you can't stop it. And when, and when offensive football is executed the right way with that kind of timing, um, it's, it is d- indeed almost impossible to stop. And, and he was raised you know, with that Patriot offense around a guy like Brady, with exactly that. I mean, come and he comes to San Francisco, and he's already in a situation where the guy that's calling the plays likes that style, and they're almost able to, in a pretty short order, kind of share a brain when you're talking about calling plays and, and execution. You know, that's as, that's as much as you could ask for, I, I would think, on both sides of that equation between the, the coach, the front office, and, and the player. Randy, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Always a pleasure. Finally, since you are a deserving member of the College Football Hall of Fame, what's it going to take to get our friend Cordell Stewart into that hall? Because we both know he threw one of the greatest Hail Mary passes in the history of college football. <laughs> I tell you what, it's a, it's a heck of a criteria um, you know, for that hall. And it takes a while. I tell people all the time, you know, my last game was New Year's Day 1976. I got in... Uh, I was inducted in July of 2011. 
So I'd like to say it's a long process, and I'd like to say I'm patient. And I'd like to say <laughs> both of those are true. So you're saying there's a chance for Cordell. He just got to hang saying in there. there's a chance. <laughs> All right, Randy. Well, he's, Heisel, he's, he's got new Heisel's vote. I know that. That's my man. You know it. <laughs> Thank you, Randy. My pleasure. Thank you. You're listening to This Week on NFL No Huddle, and we'll be back with another great interview right after this. It's a new year and time for you to explore new podcasts on TuneIn. Bring in 2018 with exciting new podcast episodes for the whole family like Story Pirates, This Podcast Has Fleas, Tumble Science for Kids, The Alien Adventures of Finn Caspian, and so many more. Start your new year with these podcasts and more. Just search podcasts on TuneIn today. Welcome back to This Week on NFL No Huddle. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. We roll on on This Week on NFL No Huddle, chatting with former Patriots tight end Jermaine Wiggins. Jermaine, thanks for coming back on the show, and we know you keep it real. You keep it 110, so tell like it is. When the Jags had a 20-10 to 10 advantage in the fourth quarter, did you ever think the Patriots were in real trouble? Uh, no, never in real trouble. Was I concerned a little bit? Yes, but... Never in real trouble. you got to understand, they came back from 28-3 to last year against the Falcons in the Super Bowl. So there's, there's always a little bit of concern, but you're, 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 you're the emotion of they're going to come back and win overtakes that. So I think that's ultimately you know, how most Pats, feel, uh, Pats fans feel, is that even if we're down, we're still going to come back and win this game. Yeah, and after doing it so many times over the years, I mean, you can go all the way back to the time in which in 2001 you guys had an opportunity to go to Super Bowl in New Orleans. You know, just think about that Oakland game where he had a call or two your way, and, you know, then all of a sudden you have a, a dynasty that's formed there with, with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. But when you look at what Jacksonville did to them and, and knowing that they have to play Philadelphia next, you know, playing a ball control game can work against the team because they can go no huddle. In, in New England and, and make you and force you to have to throw the football maybe the way you don't want to. But that philosophy that we saw with Jacksonville, it looked like it worked. You may just need a quarterback that maybe can make some quality throws uh, in key moments where it can possibly scare you guys in New England when playing against a team like that. Am I right? Well, I think like you said, but the key point that you made is when you have a quarterback that can go out there for the opposing team and make those plays. And you know, you look at Jacksonville, you know, Blake Bortles, even though he had a great first half, it's always going to come down to the end of the game where a coaching staff says, hey, you know what, we're not going to get conservative here. We're going to put it in our hands of the quarterback at times. You look at the Philadelphia Eagles, same thing. You're dealing with a, you're dealing with a, uh, a Nick Foles, the Philadelphia Eagles. Are they going to get in a position where if they happen to get a league, are they going to get conservative and say, hey, listen, we're not going to necessarily put it in the hands of our quarterback. That's the problem with teams that do ultimately play the Patriots is you've got to have a quarterback and a coach that says, you know what, we are not going to let up because we know that number 12 and Bill Belichick are on the other sidelines. And if we let up a little bit, there's a good chance they're going to come back and win this game. And I think ultimately that's what we saw with Jacksonville. Uh, you know, the Patriots have to do a better job against Philadelphia, especially in the first half of not putting themselves in a hole where they ultimately get down 20 to 10 or 14 to 3 or 14 to 10, whatever it is. They want to try to stay, you know, either keep the game tied or ultimately have a lead. 
Jermaine Wiggins is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Jermaine, if you're just looking at the key metrics, Philadelphia, tremendous against the run, number one in all of football. How much confidence do you have the Patriots can run the ball in the Super Bowl if they have to? Well, I mean, I'm very confident if they have to run the football, but that's the thing with the Patriots. You don't need to run the football. You know, you got number 12 back there. If you looked at the game uh, against Jacksonville, they came out throwing the ball. You don't need to run the football. That's not how the Patriots are built. You know, when you look at a team like Philadelphia, they're more built in that way of, oh, we want to run the football uh, team like Jacksonville. We want to run the football. When you have a quarterback like Tom Brady, you don't need to run the football. The passing game will open up those run plays for you. You just only need to run the football when you're in specific areas. Like at the end of the game, it's a third and nine. You run the football, you pick up the first down to ice the game. Um, If there are points and times in the game that you have to run the football, then you run it. But when you got Tom Brady as your quarterback running the football, something that you don't need to say, hey, we got to go out there and do. We just got to make sure we sprinkle it in so they respect the run and that potentially opens up play action. I think some may say, uh, Jermaine, that when you look at how this, this postseason has gone so far, there's a few quarterbacks that you didn't expect to be in the position they were in this past week. And, of course, Case Keenum, Blake Bortles, and Nick Foles. And, and, and Tom Brady, we somewhat expected him to be there. But the numbers that Nick Foles have put up over the past couple games in this postseason are numbers that no one thought of. I mean, I thought he had the better game from a quarterbacking standpoint in that game against the Minnesota Vikings. Can the New England Patriots get a little overconfident if they see that it's Nick Foles as the quarterback and thinking that he can't get it done because he is just Nick Foles? No, I, I, I don't think so because, uh, you know, not only I don't think so, I know it won't happen because Bill Belichick prepares those guys to never overlook their opponent. Plus they know, look at what Blake Bortles was able to do in the first half of the game in the AFC Championship game. So it doesn't matter who the, what the quarterback's name is. If you don't take this quarterback serious, if you feel like or you take him lightly, he'll be able to go out there and make plays. And the Patriots never do that. They never take their opponent lightly. And so they won't do that with Nick Foles. They know that Nick Foles can make the throws. They know that if you give him an opportunity to make plays and you let guys run free, he'll be able to hit those receivers. What you have to do is make every window that he throws into extremely tight. Make it difficult uh, for him excuse me, with those windows and put pressure on him so he's not feeling comfortable in that pocket. I think that's what the Patriots will be saying to themselves throughout the week uh, of, of getting ready in the week before the Super Bowl. He's Cordell Stewart. I'm Brian Weber talking Super Bowl with the Super Bowl champion Jermaine Wiggins, the former Patriots tight end, not looking beyond the challenge of the Eagles, but let's say the Patriots win another Super Bowl. How much longer do you think they can keep this going? Are you really buying the notion Brady can make it until he's 45 years old? I'm buying the notion that I think Brady's going to play at a high level for at least the next two to three years. And when I say a high level, I'm talking about a top five quarterback in the National Football League. Now, when you get past those three years, you have to then say, okay, how do we build our team? Can Brady be the type of quarterback? Now it's all based on injury, we know that. But the way Brady takes care of himself, the way the game is played from the neck up for him, can he put himself in a position to be a quarterback that can go out there you know, after the three years and say, hey, listen, don't go out there, don't lose games for us, be a quarterback that can manage the game, do some of those things. I think Brady's still going to be – 
you know, be able to be successful at that level. And I think if you're the Patriots, you kind of build the team around them. Maybe you, you, you get into a situation where you bring a running back in that maybe you could take some of the pressure off of them and you run the football. Maybe your defense is a little bit more of a ball-hawking defense where you're able to create turnovers. So I, I definitely see this for the next two to three years. After that, I think it's going to be year-to-year based on how he feels. What do you think it's going to take? You don't have to let out the blueprint, but if you're looking at the Philadelphia Eagles and how they played in this last game and, and also seeing where there was moments and spurts in games where New England struggled, but the second half they just took over because of great adjustments, uh, what do you think it's going to take to, to beat the New England Patriots handily and, and, and just walk away with the victory? Well, it comes down to two things if you want to try to beat the Patriots. And the first thing is you've got to have good quarterback play. You got to be able to go out there and have your quarterback play a mistake-free football game. And the second thing, which I think is probably the most important thing, is that coach on the other sideline. He cannot get conservative. He cannot get scared. He has to take chances. He has to be aggressive. Those are the things that you have to do. I know everybody says put pressure on the quarterback. Yes, if you put pressure on Brady, that's fine. But ultimately, when it gets down to it and it gets time to that, you know, where you got to turn that screw and you got to turn it tight, it comes down to the play of your quarterback and that coach saying, hey, listen, we're not going to take our foot off the, off the gas or maybe we're down by three, but we're going to take chances. And that's ultimately, I think that is the only way that when you look at teams that have beaten the Patriots, it's because of that. And, and if you can't do that, you're not going to beat the Patriots. And I think ultimately that's what it comes, comes out to those two things in my opinion. Thank you, Jermaine. We'll chat with there you after you the Super Bowl. Yep. All right. We'll talk to you later. You're listening to This Week on NFL No Huddle. And we'll be back with another great interview right after this. Catch all new episodes of some of your favorite podcasts early with TuneIn First Play. You can listen to new episodes from some of your favorite shows, like Haunted Places by Parcast. Every episode, I take you to the scariest haunted places on Hollywood Earth. and Crime by Wonder. We also tested the purse for fingerprints. Nothing viable there either. And Uncivil by Gimlet before they're available anywhere else. Where we ransack America's past and discover that history is only kind to those who write it. Search First Play Podcast and listen early. Listen often. Listen today. Welcome back to This Week on NFL No Huddle. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Next on This Week on NFL No Huddle, we welcome in former Eagles defensive end Hugh Douglas. Hugh, thanks for taking the time. How are you? Hey, what's going on, fellas? How y'all doing? Hugh, glad you came on, brother. I appreciate you getting back to us and uh, giving us a chance to to get some of your wisdom about this Philadelphia Eagles team, when you found out they were going, uh, considering the last time they went out and, and all the mess, I guess you can call it, that was hovering around that team with the T.O. and the Donovan McNabb stories. But to see this team being one that's, that's gelled together as if they've been together for a very long time, even with Nick Foles being the starting quarterback, what was your take being here in Atlanta and hearing that back there in Philadelphia? Man, you know what? I was excited, man. Just another crack at it. You know, it's been a long time. It's been 13 years since the last time we went to the Super Bowl. And the irony is against Tom Brady. I mean, he's still playing. So for those young guys that have another crack at it, man, it was a great feeling. A great feeling for the city of Philadelphia, I'm sure. You, we know a key to beating the Patriots, be it the Giants twice in the Super Bowl, Denver a couple years ago in the AFC title game, is getting to Brady, applying pressure. How much confidence do you have that the Eagles, led by Fletcher Cox, can get that done in the Super Bowl? Man, I tell you what, those guys have been playing well, man. And I think that that Chris Long being there was a huge addition 
to that Eagles front line. Uh, uh, Brandon Graham had nine and a half sacks this season. I think those guys have enough guys up front that can get out to the quarterback. And another guy that nobody really talks about that's been playing well is Tim Jernigan. I think the best way to get to beat Brady is to get pressure up the middle, and the Philadelphia Eagles can do that. You talk about pressure up the middle. I mean, you were one of the one of the big time big four guys up front on the on the front four when it came down to applying pressure uh, to the quarterback. We go all the way back to the Hula Bowl. Nobody knows that, but you and I go all the way back to the Hula Bowl back in our our days of of being youngsters. But even back then, you were a guy that applied a lot of pressure and you played with a lot of passion. Give me your take on Fletcher Cox. Coach was really smart with not letting him play a lot, you know, get a lot of reps during the regular season. But at the very end, they started giving more reps and he looks looked more fresh than he did at the beginning of the season. Give me your take on how he's been playing. Man, listen, you know, it, it's two guys that, that, that in the back-to-back I had a chance to see. That was Aaron Donald and Fletcher Cox. And even though Aaron Donald is a different beast, Fletcher Cox is right in that same category. He's a guy that you have to have two people on him at all times. You have to block him with two. And that's what makes him so special. Even when you block him with two, he can still put pressure on the quarterback. He's a guy that factors in huge in the run game. And that's one of the things that you're going to have to stop. He is a special player, man. He's one of those big guys that has a lot of athleticism, and he has a lot of speed and a lot of power for a guy his size. Hugh, let me give you a topic for your morning show, although you might have covered it this week. You see, Fletcher Cox says he's never watched the Super Bowl on TV at all. Are you buying that? That seems strange to me. Is that fake let news? Let me tell you, we talk, it's funny that you bring this up because we talked about it this morning. Hey, man, listen, the thing about like it all depends on what's your definition of watching the Super Bowl because you cannot go anywhere on this planet on Super Bowl Sunday and not be affected by the Super Bowl in some way. Now, you might not sit there and watch every play, but you are, you are somewhere where somebody's talking about the game. You're somewhere where somebody's watching the game. I mean, this is what everybody's doing on Super Bowl Sunday. This is like, this is woven into the fabric of America to watch the Super Bowl or be a part of it. All the wing, chicken wings that are being sold, all the chips and dip, and you mean to tell me that you are in an area or a place where nobody's watching the Super Bowl? You must be under a rock because everybody's <laughs> watching the Super Bowl on Super Bowl Sunday or being around it. I'm, I'm listening. I'm listening to your passion. You're hitting. You're punching your hands together. You 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 really are immersed into this because this is a big game for Philadelphia. And let's let's not let's not fake it. You know, Tom Brady is arguably the best quarterback to ever do it. I mean, he's 40 years old. You know, he played against the best defense. We can all say when it comes to turnovers last week against Jacksonville, it was still capable of overcoming that pressure. What is he going to have to do this week uh, to not get beat by the Philadelphia defense? Who I saw a annihilate that Minnesota Vikings offense. You know what, man? It's funny. I, I look at Tom Brady, and I think what happened last week is Jacksonville. I think Jacksonville got conservative. Jacksonville got happy with the lead that they had, and, and they felt like, you know, the game was over. If there's ever any time on the clock, the game is never over, especially when you got a guy like Tom Brady. And as you see, as the game went on, those two turnovers for Jack, those two uh, penalties for Jacksonville really cost them. And that's when the momentum started to switch into New England's favor, and they started to come back. And then you saw at the end of that game, the, the Jacksonville defense gave Blake Bortles a couple opportunities to win the game, to put the game away. He couldn't get it done. You can't do that, man. You can't take your foot off the gas pedal when you're playing the New England Patriots. You, if you got them against the ropes, you have to keep them against the ropes. Hugh Douglas is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Hugh, I'm sure as you guys 
next week go all in with the big game. You'll go category by category looking for the edge. If we're trying to come up with areas that Philadelphia might have an advantage in, do you look at the ground game with the one-two punch of Jay Ajayi, LeGarrette Blunt? I know Nick Foles was sensational in the NFC title game, but it feels like if Philadelphia can run the ball, keep Brady off the field, they may have a shot. There's no question about that. You know, one of the things about about being in the playoffs, the, the teams that can run the ball in December and January are the teams that have the best success of winning a Super Bowl. And the Eagles can do that. They impose their will on the Atlanta Falcons in the first week of play for them when they're off of the bye. They are a team that can run the ball. The, big, the thing that you have to do is keep Nick Foles in manageable downs and let that defense do what that defense does. But, again, I must express and stress that you cannot get conservative if you get a lead on the New England Patriots. You have to keep your foot on the gas pedal to beat this team. I think, Hugh, you probably can be happy about this because with Doug Peterson, especially when it comes to being conservative, because one thing I saw him uh, be able to do, I think going back to the Rams game on the road, uh, I think he had an interview after that game and and you know, most of the time when you go to your backup quarterbacks, you have a tendency to want to control the game by kind of building his way up uh, to the momentum of what the game was before your starting quarterback got injured. He said, you know what? We're going to keep it going the way we had it. And all of a sudden, you end up seeing him get a chance to start in the postseason. And it was the same way. He was playing as if he was a starter our year. How happy are you about the way uh, Coach Doug Peterson actually went out and actually orchestrated his team of new players and also some backup quarterbacks like a, a Nick Foles? You know, it's funny because at first you, you was a little nervous about it, and everybody in Philadelphia was because Nick Foles went out there and he didn't really play well, but Coach believed in him. He gave him the time that he needed to get acclimated to the offense, get up to speed with all the other guys. And even in that, in that Atlanta game, he came off and he looked a little rocky, but as the game settled down, he got it together and he played better. I think it's all about confidence, man, and, and, and your teammates believing in you and Coach believing in you because, as you know, Cordell, you played that position before. If you have, if you believe in your quarterback, and your quarterback knows that if he makes a mistake, he's not going to be yanked. That makes it so much easier to play, and you don't make that many mistakes when you when you know you got every, everybody has your back. Your last one for me: If you had to pick one area, one component, what do you think the Super Bowl might come down to? I think it's going to come down, man, to the who, who which D line plays the best, and how well that D line can get pressure on Tom Brady. I mean, we've seen it, man. You know, uh, the New York Giants, twice. The formula is to rush the passer, to make him frustrated, move him off the pocket, move him out of the pocket, man. If you can do that on a consistent basis, then Philadelphia doesn't have to worry about a thing. You're listening to This Week on NFL No Huddle, and we'll be back with another great interview right after this. It's a new year, and time for you to explore new podcasts on TuneIn. What better way to celebrate the new year than taking a look back at the best podcasts of 2017? From news and politics to true crime, comedy, and history favorites, we've rounded up our favorites, and there's something for everyone. Shows included Dirty John, S-Town, My Favorite Murder, Homecoming, Pod Save America. Start your new year with these podcasts and more. Just search podcasts on TuneIn today. 
Catch all new episodes of some of your favorite podcasts early with TuneIn First Play. You can listen to new episodes from some of your favorite shows, like Haunted Places by Parcast. Every episode, I take you to the scariest haunted places on Earth. Hollywood and Crime by Wondering. We also tested the purse for fingerprints. Nothing viable there either. And Uncivil by Gimlet before they're available anywhere else. Where we ransack America's past. And discover that history is only kind to those who write it. Search First Play Podcast and listen early. Listen often. Listen today. Welcome back to This Week on NFL No Huddle. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out this week on NFL No Huddle, we're joined by the executive director of the Senior Bowl, Phil Savage. Phil, thanks for taking the time. Baker Mayfield has had some off-the-field issues, but sounds like he's really impressed many executives this week. What can you tell us about Baker? Yeah, good afternoon, guys. Uh, We've had a a really productive week here. I think this has been a good experience for Baker Mayfield. On the field, he's been, I think, what people expected in terms of the NFL scouts. He's a He's a basketball point guard. When the defense tries to pressure him, he can distribute it to all parts of the field. When the defense lays off, he takes off and drives the lane, and he'll run it for 10, 12, 15 yards and pick up a first down. He's a very instinctive player in that regard. Uh, He seemed to to adapt to what the Broncos were asking him to do fairly fairly easily. And I think off the field – uh, the teams that he met with, I don't know the feedback from that in terms of the, the, the real feeling on it, but I do know he's had an extremely busy uh, last four days. I know his body language has been one that's that's been pretty intriguing because he looked like he's a little, like a little Tasmanian devil. He looked like he never has a dull moment. But tell me about Saquon Barkley, uh, the running back, uh, or any other quarterback for that matter, or top player that could be drafted in the top five spots that you see actually shining and getting it done. Yeah, you know, Cordell, we've, of course, down here with Josh Allen, the Wyoming quarterback. You guys mentioned him as the lead-in. You know, ultimately, he may end up being the first player taken from this game. And, you know, for the we had 600 members of the national media here on Tuesday. Many of them have never seen Josh Allen one time in his career. And so they make some snap judgments. You see him launch a ball five yards over someone's head, and all of a sudden, you know, hey, he's inaccurate and this and that. And the truth of it is, with Josh Allen, it really doesn't matter what he looked like on Tuesday at Senior Bowl week. What is going to matter, what's going to matter is what he looks like two years from now because he's got an unlimited ceiling potential-wise. He's 6'5", he's 237 pounds, he's got a rocket of an arm, he's still learning how to finesse the ball to different parts of the field, the short, intermediate, uh, in-between type throws. Uh, but I, I just think that's a real contrast, and they were on the on the same team. And to me, Baker Mayfield, you know exactly what he is in terms of what you're going to get as a player, and I think that'll probably continue going forward. With Josh Allen, there is a, a huge upside because of the physical dimension he brings to the table. It's going to be fascinating to see how these teams separate all this out. But I do think Josh has a, a great chance to go in the top ten and maybe even in the top five. Chatting with Phil Savage, executive director of the Senior Bowl. Phil, since we've covered the quarterbacks, what receivers should we be tracking in the game tomorrow? In our game tomorrow, I thought that uh, James Washington from Oklahoma State, he had a a good week of practice. We give awards for the three days of practice, and he, he got that trophy last night. Michael Gallup from Colorado State, I thought, did some nice things. 
in terms of especially the first two days of practice. We had several tight ends here that stood out. Mike Gesicki from Penn State seemed to make a lot of catches. And I tell you, sort of a sleeper name to keep an eye on, Jordan Aikens from UCF, the 26-year-old former baseball player. He was considered an underclassman in school, but he graduated, so that made him eligible after he basically intended that he was going to come into this draft. And he's been really impressive, especially the last two days. He got a lot of passes directed at him, and he's done a tremendous job here. When you talk about the draft and all the players that are actually coming out, you mentioned Josh Allen. Uh, what about Josh Rosen and what he's capable of doing? Tell me, tell me, if you look at the top guy as far as a quarterback is concerned, what do you think they're actually looking for? Does the size really matter when it comes to Matt Barker, when it comes down, excuse me, when it comes down to the young kid in, in Baker Mayfield and what he's capable of doing as far as his energy, his leadership, and also his, let's just say the, the ability of not being afraid of being good. Sure, Coyle. You know, the, the Rosen and, and, of course, Darnold uh, were not eligible for us because they're underclassmen without degrees at this point. I've seen both of them, though, at the Manning Academy down in Thibodeau the last couple summers, and so I, I have an opinion on it. Rosen's a pure thrower. There's no doubt about it. But I think the question on Josh really is from the neck up in terms of the attitude, character, leadership, will teams will play teammates resonate? Uh, with his style of of uh, leadership, and then of course he's had some injuries in terms of staying healthy, and we know what the NFL uh, season is like. And then of course with Sam Darnold, I think everyone is impressed with his eyes and his fact, his ability to distribute the ball. But the turnovers this year were were absolutely uh, will be a concern for these teams. Uh, I think there'll be a, a lot of scrutiny. Uh, on him once those two, on both of these guys, once they get to the combine and go under the magnifying glass, so to speak. But I do think it's the two juniors and then Josh Allen, the, the underclassman graduate. That's how he got here. He finished school in December, made him eligible here in, in Baker Mayfield. And, you know, we got about four months to figure it all out. But uh, bottom line reality is you got to find the guy that's got the physical good but also brings the intangibles because I don't know if you guys heard or saw the, the comment from Tom Brady saying, look, if you're going to beat me, you're going to have to be willing to sacrifice your life because that basically is what he's done for almost the last 20 years. And these kids really have to understand and grasp that it's an all-day, everyday deal to be a successful NFL quarterback at a championship level. Phil Savage, executive director of the Senior Bowl, is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Phil, what does it say about the massive popularity of the draft and the prestige of your event that your practices generated live coverage of both ESPN and NFL Network this week? Well, it's something that we've really tried to to get out there as we've uh, in some ways marketed our event. The Senior Bowl has been around a long time. Reese's came on as a title sponsor. Uh, five games ago. This is their fifth game in a row to do it. Uh, that kind of international brand in conjunction with Adidas and Morgan Stanley and the coverage from ESPN and the NFL Network uh, has, I think, helped our messaging in terms of trying to educate the college prospect and coach that we are not the last game of your college career. No, no, no. We're the first game in the first step towards your professional career. 
And I think the, the guys that came down here, 110 of them, recognize that. I've seen a number of them. We have a fan fest going on inside the building. I stepped out for a moment. I've had a number of them telling, Mr. Savage, thank you so much for the invite. I got so much out of this, and I've got the right mindset going forward in terms of what it's really going to take for me to go from being a college prospect to an NFL player. And there is a huge difference in those two terms. Bill, we know it's a tremendously busy week for you, so we really appreciate you taking the time to join us today and have a great game tomorrow. Guys, I appreciate the time. Hope you're doing well. Enjoyed the conversation. And uh, come see us one year there on TuneIn Radio. You guys need a table down here on Radio Row. We will get that done. Thank you, Phil. Guys, appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to This Week on NFL No Huddle with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 to 7 p.m. Eastern time on the NFL on TuneIn. The National Football League is on TuneIn.